Night gathers, and now my rewatch begins. Welcome back to Oysters, Clams, and Cockles, the number one Game of Thrones podcast in the realm for people who party like Tyrion and slay like Daenerys, brought to you by Grand X Media. I am Ross Bolin at the Grand X Media Studios in Austin, Texas with my co-host Barrett Dudley. What's up, everybody? How is it going? You pumped for this one? Oh, very pumped. You know, it's uh, it's just, it's been a hard, hard week at um, at home. It's been a hard, hard week at been home. Hard at home. Some might say it was hard at home. So I'm, I'm just, I'm excited to now get into this episode. You want to get soft at home? Uh, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Soft home. Soft home. Yeah. Yeah. This is a good one. Namesake. Namesake episode as well. Big time. A lot going on. This episode frequently, frequently put in, almost always put in top fives. Oh, of yeah. Game of Thrones episodes. Deservingly so. And often gets put in top two, top three as well. I think you'd have trouble convincing me to put it outside the top three. Yeah, I mean it's it it's it's got a lot going on. I put it at th- I'd put it at three. The visuals are incredible. And then, you know, everybody talks about how it's like, oh yeah, that's the one where Jon Snow kills the White Walker and also Arya says Oysters, Clams, and Cockles which right. inspired the Game of Thrones podcast Oysters, Clams, and Cockles the right. number one Game of Thrones podcast in the realm for people that party like Tyrion and slay like Daenerys exactly and that's why that's really what rockets it up there is that it, it's kind of tied to this podcast exactly it, it people, and that elevates it to that tier one status exactly yeah yeah. people that's, are saying that anyways those are the two things people say yeah. they say Hey, that's the one where Jon Snow kills a White Walker. Mm-hmm. And that's where the podcast name comes and from. And that's where the podcast name comes yeah, from. Yeah, that's what they say. Yeah. Yeah. This is the Night's Rewatch. We're doing a podcast for every episode of Game of Thrones, starting with season one, episode one, leading up to the final season of our favorite show, so we can all be as prepared as possible. Take the black and join us. The Night's Rewatch is brought to you by our in-house clothing brand, Rowdy Gentleman, which you can check out at rowdygentleman.com. We make all these products, design them, source the materials. We put it all together. And on RowdyGentleman.com right now, you can check out all of our fall 2018 products, which are brand new arrivals. Just click on the new tab or the new arrivals banner at the top. 
and then you invoke Sumai at checkout. S-U-M-A-I. Type it in at checkout, and you'll get 15% off your whole order. Barrett, what are some of your favorite products in the uh, new fall 2018 offering, if you would? Well, I, the, the pocket tees are an updated fit. They're, they're a little bit different from spring. Uh, the, not only is the material heathered, which is really cool. It's got I do, that kind I, of like almost two-tone look. It looks I love very, a heather. very nice. Yeah, everybody, yeah, who doesn't like a heather? Everybody loves love a, a good heather. heather. Um, and they, they just they fit really, really well. You know, they, they fit okay in the past. No, no, no major complaints. Sure. But this t- I just got one from the warehouse, which is across the street now. And fits really, really nicely. So the pocket tees, updated, new material, new fit. They're badass. And then, I, man, I'm, I'm feeling the hats. I'm feeling all of the hats. The hats are sexy. Yeah. Goodnight Dunes is my favorite. Yeah, and that one's a great material, too. It, it feels soft. It's, it's like nothing I've ever seen. Wow. Totally original. Can you believe it? Yeah. If I had to recommend one of the vintage tees, I would recommend Spine Language. I actually received mine in the mail this weekend. And I love it. I might wear it tomorrow. I'm uh, washing it to get the wrinkles out. You know how it is when you get a new t-shirt. But yeah, go to rowdygentleman.com. Shop the new fall 2018 selection. See if there's anything else you want from the sale area or any of the other collections. Get some hats, t-shirts, pocket tees, whatever it is you need and want. And then type in Sumai, S-U-M-A-I at checkout and get 15% off that whole order on rowdygentleman.com. Our hotline number is 866-43-CLAMS. Call it anytime, anywhere, any place, any day with questions, clam fam corrections, if you must, whatever theory you might have about whatever. Call the hotline, 866-43-CLAMS. We picked out three calls to play today. Here's the first one. What's up, clam fam? This is Mark from Houston. Real quick. Why the fuck does Danny, like have such a problem seeing people getting killed in the pits like dude she's she's seen people burned alive by her dragons like multiple times i don't know it's just like really inconsistent thanks guys all right we see it happen again in this episode danny brings up the fighting pits and how she's just legalized murder in the fighting pits again and it's like not really it's not murder really i mean Okay, so I had a. I'll just let this call kind of lead me into, I think, what I, I had in my notes from last week, but then I forgot. It, it's just fascinating to me that back in the day, and I mean way, way, way back in the day. Way back. This, this was sports. And people always say, like, NFL is modern day gladiators. But, sure. yeah, but yeah, no, not really, because... When there were gladiators, people were literally watching people kill each other for sport. Two men enter, one man leaves. And that is mind-boggling to me. Yeah. That it was just like a commonplace natural thing. Uh, just, hey, yeah. The price of... What people are it? killing. The value of life. Let's go was, watch this guy get get dead. Was so much lower. Get got. Yeah. But... Yeah, I mean, I, I really think... But isn't that... I mean, that we don't have a sociology podcast, not yet anyways. No. But it's just a weird thing about the human mind like that we care so much about our lives now. People didn't really seem to give two shits back then. Yeah, I don't really know what the, the, the change... I guess it's like the overall quality of life with technology, medicine. Life just became more valuable. Yeah. And people saw the potential like, holy shit, I could live a really long time and do a bunch of dope stuff. Right, Whereas back right. then it was like, ah, oh, we're all suffering and miserable and dirty <laughs> and 
sick and nobody's got any medicine or government, we might as well just fight it out in this pit. Yeah, yeah. But Danny gets so hung up. I mean, like, I understand what he's saying. Because it, 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 she keeps harping on, like, the, the the murder, the death part of it, and, like, seeing people die, and she's clearly not comfortable with it when she's sitting there watching those guys fight it out last episode. She's, mm-hmm. like, cringing like crazy and super upset. But she's seen people die before many, many, many times. She was married to a guy who basically that was his favorite thing to do was kill people. She saw her own brother get molted gold dump on his face. Yeah. She's burned people alive with her dragons. That's true. It's sort of similar to the... The Tywin prostitute obsession to me. Like, she just can't stop fucking bringing up the fighting pits. He couldn't stop bringing up the hookers. And it's like, there must be some underlying thing. Well, I think it's because it's... A big part of it for her is that... I think she ties it to slavery as well. Yes. Because previously, all of these masters owned slaves... And forced them to fight. And then they forced to fight. And that part of it makes sense. And if she just explain it that way, right? You know what I mean. Like yeah. if she, it's just like if she would just be a little more specific, it would be so much clearer. I feel to the people in the show with her, like the her counsel and whatnot. But then also us watching, it's just like be clear about the slavery thing. That is the reason. Barrett is answering your question. She's hung up on the fighting pits because it's all connected to slavery for her. Yeah, it, there is no differentiation. She doesn't really get it. If there's like freedmen fighting or or slaves fighting, it's like are they really free? Because mm-hmm. this is like there's a lot of, you know forced not good shit going into this and and that's why she doesn't like it yeah next call yo what's happening boys it's ross from new orleans um listen to season five episode seven right now and i got to the segment about uh gilly and sam getting it in and the whole hip working thing with gilly i just want to throw this in there real quick uh gilly boned her dad and that's pretty much the only dude she's boned so technically she learned this shit banging her dad and now sam's getting it on the action a little strange but you know sam's got to get it all right later all right first let's be clear about something gilly didn't bone her dad (laughs) her dad boned her and again different time different place different circumstances than obviously modern day civilized society but yes that is technically true gilly learned sex to our knowledge from the only person she's ever had sex with which was her father but that doesn't mean she was like putting in work on yeah her i dad. don't think yeah that's the thing is that i don't that that was that was incestual rape and yes. this is not love making this is yeah you you i don't think at any point uh, Gilly was on top of Craster working her hips like Shakira, yeah. which is what she was doing with Sam. That right. was not happening. Yeah. Also, I apologize for uh, when I just said love making on you, this podcast. You did say that. Yeah, sorry. I don't think that's ever happened before. <laughs> Hopefully it'll never happen again. Yes, it's a weird situation. Yes, it's very unfortunate. But no, we shouldn't let this ruin Gilly or her and Sam's relationship. If you want to go down that line... It, it starts to get really weird because then it's like we can't root for very many characters. Danny right, and the Targaryens right. were notorious for inbreeding and incestual activities. Jamie and Cersei have been in love and having sex their entire lives. It, it, you just want to be careful. Yes, it is an important part of Gilly's past to remember that she was being systematically raped by her father who was doing that to all of his offspring. No, that doesn't. it's not something you hold against her moving forward. Or judge her for it. It's not her fault. That wasn't circumstances she opted into. But yeah, it's weird. 
And if we could not bring it up ever again, that'd be super duper. <laughs> Next call. Hey, clan fam. This is Stacy from Philly. So I was calling in, well, for two reasons. Number one, I fucking love you guys. You guys are my favorite buddy cop duo. Um, and number two is because I'm 30 years old and I've never seen Jurassic Park, which I get shit for all the time. But the reason I've never seen it is because when it came out, my parents thought I was too young and they like rented it and had my sister watch it. So then by the time the second one came out, they're like, yeah, you can watch it. I'm like, nah, fuck that. I'm good. So I know I'm weird. I've never seen Jurassic Park. If you guys are ever in the front area, we can get stoned to watch Jurassic Park. Um, so yeah, I know I'm weird, but I feel like I finally had a reason to call in. So <laughs> bye. Bye. Thank you. That I'm so happy that we're your favorite buddy cop duo. We're that, her that, favorite buddy cop yeah, duo. That's that's huge praise. Um. Well, Jurassic Park is on Netflix right now. I, I just noticed that it was on there this past week. So. I watched it stoned on Netflix last week. <laughs> it was awesome. There you, you go. Totally do this. So, I, but yeah, we found someone who hasn't seen Jurassic Park. Get it. Get in there. Watch that Jurassic Park. You gotta. See, if you like dinosaurs, just watch it. It's a fantastic film. Life finds a way. Yes, it does. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, look, this lovely female... First of all, every time a female calls, my, my eyes light up. I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> They're still out there. If you're a female member of the Clam Fam, please see that you are properly represented within our hotline by calling 866-43-CLAMS. And she was clearly just rebelling against her parents. Mm-hmm. Which is a good thing to do, honestly. So, you made it this far. I think your point has been proven. It's time to watch Jurassic Park. You don't even have to tell your parents. Don't even tell them, yeah. Don't even give them that satisfaction. Just watch it for you, okay? That's the end of the hotline calls. Let's get into it. Season 5, Episode 8, Hard Home. Our podcast's namesake episode, written by Benioff and Weiss and directed by Miguel Sapochnik. We start out in Marine. We open in Danny's throne room. In Marine, where Jorah and Tyrion are being questioned by Danny. Remember, Jorah and Tyrion came to uh, be with Danny last episode via fighting pits. And basically, what Danny is doing here is questioning Tyrion. She wants to know why she should believe Tyrion is Tyrion Lannister, why she shouldn't kill him for revenge against his family if that is indeed the case. She's trying to put all, every, she wants everybody's cards on the table. She wants to figure out what, what to do next. And Tyrion has great arguments. He's like, first of all, look, if killing Lannisters is your goal, I killed my mother on the day of, her, of my birth. I killed my father with a bolt to the heart. He says, quote, I am the greatest Lannister killer of our time, which is one of the all-time great Tyrion lines to joke about how you're just fantastic at knocking off members of your own family. That is the very definition of dark humor. And uh, it goes over fairly well, though, like... This, this whole episode, other than the hard home scene at the end, which is obviously the most important mm-hmm. factor of the episode mm-hmm. and the reason it's named hard home, the coolest part of it to me was watching Danny and Tyrion feel each other out. Yes. They have, they've got good chemistry. It's very fun to watch them. You know, in this scene, Tyrion, it's fun to watch him be very careful considering his words. Yeah, which is not something we're accustomed to seeing. Right, with him. And you, but you can kind of see it on his face. That Absolutely. He's, that, that he's making sure he, 
he says the right thing here. He is he is very aware of the fact that this situation could turn quickly for mm-hmm. him, uh, that he could end up dead in a in a you know split second. And you're right, you're exactly right. It's the first time we ever see him really contemplate each thing he says and be real. He's he's walking on thin ice and he realizes that. And in a way, it's funny like as he becomes more confident that she's probably not going to kill him, he starts to push the envelope more and more. Mm. And he's he's able to say things that, you know, he doesn't maybe wouldn't have in the first meeting. But basically Tyrion ends up explaining to Danny how he came to know of her, how Varys had sold her to him as their last best chance to build a better world. And he says, I thought you were worth meeting at the very least. He then explains to Danny that you can't build a better world on your own with no one at your side who understands the land you want to rule, the strengths and weaknesses of the houses that will either support or oppose her. And obviously Tyrion has both of those bases of knowledge for her at her disposal if she chooses to use him. And uh, he also points out that his hand of the king to Joffrey... He did very well, considering that Joffrey was more interested in torturing small animals than leading his people, and that if you use that as evidence, he could do even better with Danny, who actually wants to lead. Mm-hmm. And Danny's response is, so you want to advise me? Very well. What should I do with Jorah? I swore I would kill him if he ever returned. Why should people trust a queen who can't keep her promises? Which is, I loved this in this episode, because he's like, Tyrion is saying, I want to advise you, and she's like, oh yeah? Cool. Hey, your friend here, uh, I promised I'd murder him if he ever came back. Advise me. Like, what a brutal first test. And he fucking crushes it, Tyrion does. With with flying colors, he passes this test, on, in my eyes, in my opinion. Here's his response to Danny, questioning why she shouldn't uh, kill Ser Jorah. He says, whomever Sir Jorah was when he started informing on you, he is no longer that man. I can't remember ever seeing a sane man as devoted to anything as he is to serving you. He claims he would kill for you and die for you, and nothing I have witnessed gives me reason to doubt him. And yet he did betray you. Did he have an opportunity to confess his betrayal? Yes. And did he? No. He worships you. He is in love with you, I think, but he did not trust you with the truth. An unpleasant truth to be sure, but one of great significance to you. He did not trust that you would be wise enough to forgive him. So Danny asks, so should I kill him? Tyrion says, a ruler who kills those devoted to her is not a ruler who inspires devotion. And you need to go in, you're going to need to inspire devotion, a lot of it, if you're ever going to rule across the narrow sea. But you cannot have him by your side when you do. So, I would say that's a home run for your first bit of a... Uh, advising and it works she decides to remove sir jorah from the city as a result rather than kill him tough break for jorah two times exiled now though yeah it's like we're he's just a broken record just keeps coming back you know kicked out you know i really i thought that thought he was here to stay this time i know they they really flipped the script on me and my man's jorah what a shocker yeah yeah yeah, so he gets walked out, and we have to watch him. He's It's fucking depressing. He, he They escort him outside the gates. Once he's outside the gates, he looks down at his infected arm, and we see the spot. You know, he's got grayscale. It's grown a little bit since we last saw it. He's on his own now. He's got no horse, no food. He's got grayscale, nowhere to go. He's in a, It's rough. Yeah, yeah. It's hard out there for a Jorah, but, you know, I've got faith that he's going to make it. I don't know. Something just tells me that he's going to be okay. I've got this feeling. Over in King's Landing, Cersei is visited in her, uh, I guess, chambers, if you want to call it. It's a jail cell. By Septa Unella, 
who tells her to confess while holding out a ladle with some gruel on it or some water. I can't really tell. But uh, Cersei's like, I want to see my son. She gets smacked with the ladle. She threatens Unella. She gets smacked again with the ladle. Uh, Unella leaves. Cersei doesn't get to eat or drink anything. She looks like shit. No soup for you. No soup for you. Come back one year. It. it uh, she's starting to crack in there. A little she, bit. She screams like alone in the dark when Unella leaves. You can just see it on her face. She's. Uh, this is... I'm enjoying every second of it. I'll tell you what, Ross. It is quite nice yeah. to see her uh, suffer. Yeah. One of the more enjoyable parts of season five as a whole is seeing her get tossed into that cell and have to basically lay in the bed that she made. Mm-hmm. Over at the House of Black and White, Arya and Jock and Agar go over her new identity. Arya says, my name is Lana. I'm an orphan. When I was eight, I begged enough money to buy my first bucket of oysters. I sold that bucket and made enough money to buy two more. It took a while, but I finally saved enough to buy myself an oyster cart. Now every morning, I make my way down to the canals. I pass the fishmongers and the bakers. You will recall that in the last episode, Jockin declared that while Arya is not ready to become no one, she is ready to become someone different. So Arya goes on, explaining her day. Then Jockin says... Lana will make a fine servant for the mini-faced god and gives her a mission. Tells her to turn right and go to Ragman Harbor when she's doing her little routine. Uh, and Arya is like, okay, what do I do when I get to Ragman Harbor? He says, you will see. Then we have a glorious moment. One that changes the landscape of not just Game of Thrones or A Song of Ice and Fire or television history altogether, but podcast history as well. We see Arya as Lana working the Ragman Harbor with her oyster cart, shouting out, Oysters, clams, and cockles! <laughs> you know what? Just play the fucking theme song again for, for good measure. Right here. Let's do it. Oysters, clams, and cockles! What a shout she's got, that Arya. It's just, it's just a great pitch. Good timber. Oh, yeah. It's you a, know? It's, it's something about the way she says cockles that makes it particularly memorable. It's like okay. she, just like the rest of us, had never heard that word before when right. we told her, like, all yeah. right, now you're going to get up there and say, oysters, clams, and cockles, and it's just awkward. Yeah, there's there's a little, like, there's a little something in the cockles. 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 Yeah. Cockles. And it's it's just pleasing pleasing to the ear, if you will. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, um... Apparently, the key to playing the game of faces is just just to say everything very monotone. Yes. And keep it real chill. My name is Lana. I am an orphan. I sold one bucket, and I was able to buy two more oyster buckets. And I sold those buckets. Yeah. It's whatever's That's happening That's the key. Here. That's the key. I fig- I cracked it. Cracked I don't know if... Jo- yes, you did. Thank you. If Jockin, just like an oyster, you shucked it. <laughs> you shucked that mystery. No, I don't know if... I don't know if Jockin has decided, all right, this bitch is never going to be able to be no one. We're going to go and play this other game, and she'll become someone that's more useful than no one. Or, I, it just is all very unclear to me still what, uh, how he decided to go this route with her. And I, I mean, we may never know the answer, but I'm just saying, in terms of what we understand about the House of Black and White, what, what it means to be no one, how, the, how the, the game of faces works and all that, this doesn't really fit very well into the mold of it all. It's like she's, she is playing the game of faces. She's pretending to be someone else. She's being Lana, this orphan who sells seafood. But they're, it's just an odd way they're going about it. I don't know. It's confusing. Anyway, so she goes around as Lana down at the docks shouting out, 
Oysters, clams, and cockles. Oysters, clams, and cockles. And absorbing, observing everything that goes on at the docks, she passes one man sitting at a table who asks if her oysters are fresh. Best in the city, she says. He's like, you wouldn't lie to an old man, would you? So she shucks one and gives it to him. He downs it and then buys four with vinegar. And while she's preparing his order... Give me four with vinegar. With vinegar. That, man, that's my second favorite line of this episode, actually. We should have named the podcast... They give me four with, with vinegar. vinegar. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But we went another But route. we went a different direction. I feel confident yeah. that we made that's the right okay. It's okay. Yeah. I did just want to give, a, give some special shine, though, to uh, the thin man saying, Give me four. With vinegar. It pisses me off how she calls him the thin man and Jockin calls him the gambler. It's like, let's pick a name here, folks. Let's no, Jockin calls him the thin man at he 1.2. Could, okay, he does call him the thin man at 1.2, but he keeps calling him the gambler. Okay. Which is also a cool name, and so is the thin man, so mm -hmm. I'm kind of torn. Maybe yeah. that's where my frustration is rooted. Okay. Anyway, this thin man she's talking to, she prepares him these oysters. Uh, while she's doing that, some guy comes up to his table and is like begging the thin man to take his action. It's kind of unclear what's going on. He mm -hmm. says something about these ships and this, these different. He's been on all these, um, you know, voyages, and he's he succeeded in coming back in all of them. And then we hear Jockin explain: the man is a gambler. He wagers that a sailor's ship will make it to his destination. It's a strange wager for the captain. He only wins if he loses his life. So Barrett, I'm going to ask you for some clarity here. And I hope you can provide it. Okay, because this, uh, well, I'm not confident Damn because it. I was going to ask you for some clarity here. Well, maybe we'll both ask Luke. <laughs> uh, but. What's this guy doing? Well, okay, because it seems what he's doing is saying, look, if you come to me and you promise to blow it on your voyage and die, then I'll pay your family. But how is the thin man making money is my question. Like, how does this work from a, his financial standpoint? Is he then going and wagering on another bookie, like, I bet you this motherfucker that has made it 14 times out of 14 voyages doesn't make it this time. And yeah, his I, odds are really good? I, like, he's getting paid a bunch off that? I don't know. That's that's my only guess. If that, if Luke, so, if you want to chime in, feel so free. The, okay, so the a, a, a captain, if a captain thinks that he's going to make it, right. and he bets with this guy, right. then he loses, he loses his money? No, not if he bets that he'll make it. And the can guy would bet, only Can you bet this guy either thing? I don't know. That's or does what's he unclear. only take the bet that the ship won't make it. That's what I'm saying. I or didn't will make I it. didn't like how they didn't further explain that. Yeah. Like it's unclear what this action is he takes. It it seems like he's playing a little bit of like an insurance insurance broker essentially kind of role because mm -hmm. I think at one point he says something like Oh, this voyage looks a little too dangerous, and so that's why he declines it. And the captain is obviously like, "Oh okay. no, no, okay. I can make this." That the captain's essentially thinking he's like, "My family really needs the money, and I'm going to go gonna, kill myself. I'm going to go essentially yeah. kill myself on this trip, and yeah. then the gambler thin man is going to pay out to my family." That's why he's saying the gambler gambler thin man's being like, "No, this is too dangerous." Because I know you're not going to make it, and uh, I don't want to okay, pay your family. Okay, out. I think this makes sense. That's how there I interpret it. Think about it. He's an insurer rather than uh, a gambler. And what is insurance if not gambling? It, yeah, sure. but okay. that okay. That's what he's doing. So he's taking the he's taking insurance. Got it. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes that's a good way of putting it. Thank you, Luke. So these guys the, these guys are buying insurance from him. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yes. Yeah, so, but then he's. But then, if they die, then no, there's nobody there to hold him up, hold to 
right. force him to hold up his end of the bargain, and he's keeping all the money, I think. Yeah, and that's what's explained in the remainder of this scene is is that Arya puts it together. If the if the captain dies, the thin man pays his family a lot of money. Jockin points out that the thin man could simply welch on the wager and refuse to pay the destitute wife and kids if the captain dies. Then to whom would they turn the many-faced god? So the many-faced god is essentially a muscle service for collection purposes from the insurance agency that is the thin man slash the gambler. <laughs> it's all super clear. All right. Yep. Yeah. Whatever. Jockin asks Arya... To return to the docks uh, and learn as much about the gambler as she knows about herself. Arya's like, and then what? He says, a gift for the thin man. And guess what? It's a little vial, presumably filled with poison, that Jock hands to Arya. And we have just seen her preparing oysters for this man by pouring vinegar on them. So she knows she has, we, we know she's going to have the opportunity, likely, to poison him if need be. Right, because he likes them with vinegar. <laughs> <laughs> Which, just for the record, I do not. Wait, yes, I do. I like vinegar and the red sauce. I don't like whatever the other thing is they give you when you get oysters. Horseradish? That. I don't like that. The vinegar is like the little I like that. clearish red pink one. Okay, I'm into that. Yeah. Very into it. Yeah. Not into the horseradish. Yeah. You put the, well, if you want to make the red sauce spicy, you put the horseradish into the red sauce. That's what you can do. The cocktail sauce. Is that so? Yeah. You don't put it directly onto the... You can. You can. But what I like to do is just get a little bit of the horseradish, mix it up into the cocktail sauce, and then do a little bit of vinegar, a little cocktail sauce anyways. Now, do you just shoot the oyster, or are you a cracker guy? I like to alternate. I like to do both, actually. Ah. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a cracker guy. Yeah. Like, through and through. Every oyster goes onto a cracker, cracker goes into my mouth. There's That's not a bad way to do it. I love oysters. I, that's a great way to do it. Big but just sometimes I just want to taste the oyster too you want the texture yeah the slimy you want a, yeah. uh, disgusting texture it's delicious i fucking love oysters i don't know how i don't i feel bad for people who don't get to enjoy this my wife is one of those people she doesn't eat seafood she will not touch an oyster I barely looks that. at one. no seafood i crush it though huh. i'm all about it so when i go to restaurants so the nice thing is i'll get a dozen oysters and then she doesn't have any i get to have all of them more for me none for you uh, you my being wife. her yeah <laughs> my wife we had to get that in here Borat shut down the podcast we're done <laughs> just for the record it's not okay to quote Borat there was a okay there was like a PGP column that just got put up about like the 10 most overquoted lines of all time yeah that that just made me want to use those lines even more again yeah no that's how this works though like once we've pointed out the annoyingness of something then it's then it's then cool it's, and funny to me again right. it's like okay let's start doing Borat quotes <laughs> to piss people off because fuck everybody yeah, I'm with you. I, I got you. All right, so after this, Arya walks off. She gets the poison. She walks off. She knows she has this mission to kill the thin man when she gets the opportunity um, after she's learned as much about him as she can. I'm not sure why she needs to learn so much about him if she's just going to end up killing him. Like, why not just kill him? I think that's just because, like any good assassin, the more you know, the, the cleaner easier. the kill Sure, but be. we just saw her like get this flawless opportunity with zero research. Yeah. <laughs> It just seemed like easy enough, but whatever. Uh, the waif approaches Jockin and says that Arya isn't ready. Jockin's like, well, whether she is or she isn't, it's all it is all the same to the many faced god. Okay, what did you take what did you take out of that line? It is the same. It is now what I will use instead of saying whatever or it is what it is. From henceforth, I'm just gonna say, Ah, it's all the same to the many faced god. It doesn't mean anything. He doesn't it's I think his point is either way, the many-faced god is going to receive another face. 
It's either going to be the Thin Man or it's going to be Arya or because Arya. they're going to kill her. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Over in King's Landing, we check in with Cersei again, who is still incarcerated. Shocker. And she's being visited by Kyburn this time in her cell. She still looks like ass. She's miserable. She's sitting on the floor. You know what Cersei could desperately use, Barrett? I know you know. I know. I do know. I a know exactly Lisa what you're thinking. Yeah, that's what I was thinking yes. too. Yes. So that at the very least, she could get a flawless night's sleep. The good news is, you never have to end up like Cersei. As a member of the clan fam, as a brother or sister in the Night's Rewatch, you are entitled to $160 off the greatest mattresses in the realm made by Lisa. Just by going to lisa.com slash dragon. Dragon. L-E-E-S-A dot com slash dragon. Dragon. A quality night's sleep helps you recover from distractions faster, prevents burnout, you make better decisions, you improve your memory. Overall, you're going to make fewer mistakes. It's not marketing, it is science. To design a better mattress, Lisa leveraged 30 plus years of experience and hundreds of hours of testing to develop the perfect mattress for all body shapes and sleeping styles. Lisa's mission is to provide a better night's sleep for everybody through their 110 program. They donate one mattress for every 10 they sell. That's more than 26,000 mattresses and counting that they've donated. They strive to leave the world a better place than they found it, and that doesn't stop with the mattress donations. Together with the Arbor Day Foundation, Lisa plants one tree for every mattress they sell and have committed to planting one million trees by 2025. Do not miss out on these summer savings. Get $160 off your Lisa mattress now by going to Lisa, L-E-E-S-A dot com slash dragon. Dragon. Barrett and I both have Lisa mattresses. We both had the Superior by Lisa, to be more specific, which is fantastic. I highly recommend it. These are the best beds on the planet. It doesn't get better than this. If you're looking at your mattress thinking, eh, or it's just time for you to get a new one, you're in the market, this is the way to go. Trust us, Clam Fam. Fantastic products. They've also got pillows, sheets, box springs. All, Do you want to know you how I would describe my Superior by Lisa mattress? How? Very nice. Oh, <laughs> <sighs> All right, from there, Kyburn informs Cersei that her trial is going to take place soon. <laughs> that the High Sparrow... Nailed it. You did. <laughs> well done, sir. The High Sparrow will be presenting a substantial case against you, he says. Uh, she's like, well, what are the charges? Fornication, treason, incest, the murder of King Robert. Yowie. It's a lot. All lies, Cersei says, and, and Kyburn's very quick response is, of course, Your Grace. He's very good at this. He's very, uh, what do you call that when you appease? He's a, he's very good at appeasing Cersei, mm -hmm. keeping her calm. And uh, Kyburn expresses to her that his concern is the faith may not adhere to the same standards of proof as the crown does. Basically, it's so funny watching people have to say without saying it to Cersei, like, yeah, so they might actually try you for realsies and use, like, real evidence. This isn't going to be some dog and pony show where the result is predetermined mm -hmm. and all the power lies in your hands and the crown's hands. Mm -hmm. Him having to say that without saying it is, is very entertaining to me. Uh, but he also says, belief is so often the death of reason, which I find to be a very interesting perspective that uh, basically what he's saying there is these religious people, they don't have much reason to them. He's, it's, all of this is so weird because he's explaining to her that they do things the straight way, the real way. Well, I, but I think, he, I think that, I think what he says there, the thing about belief being the death of reason is kind of, has a, is kind of a double meaning because I think he's referring to like belief in the religion uh -huh. 
makes them see other things less clearly and without reason. But he's also saying that I, I think what he's also saying to her is that everybody thinks you're guilty of these things. They uh, believe you're guilty of these things. Okay. So there will and be so no they w- reasonable. So they won't listen to any reason that you're not because they already think it's true. Okay. I, I could see that. Okay. Yeah. Well, Cersei also asks if Kyburn has heard anything from Jamie. He says no, obviously. Um, and he tells her that Grand Maester Pycelle has summoned Uncle Kevin back from Casterly Rock to serve as Hand of the King. Didn't Kevin leave with an A? Didn't he leave like last episode? No. Three episodes ago, three, four? It's a lot of it's travel. Been, it's, no, it's been a while. This is a lot of back and forth for Uncle Kevin, is it not? I'm just saying he needs to be able to put this on the corporate card or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, he does that. If we know anything about his sons and nephews like Tanner, of course they put everything on the company card. They do. It yeah. all goes on the company card. It's all just... It's OTC, baby. They just throw... Yeah, exactly. They just throw the fucking uh, receipt down towards the Iron Bank and somebody else takes care yeah, of it. Yeah, always. Turns out Uncle Kevin with an A now presides over the small council. He's refusing to visit Cersei. Uh, apparently Tommen is as well. He's not handling Cersei's arrest or the arrest of his queen very well. His servants often find his food in the hall left untouched. He's depressed. He's starving himself. Whatever it is, Cersei wants Kyburn to go talk to Tommen to get him to come see his mother. And Kyburn's like, I already tried. And he won't see me. He won't see anyone. Just a reminder that Tommen is a child. This is a little kid who is now literally alone in the world with no one. Uh, his father is dead. Well, yeah, that's true. His he fake li- father yep, is dead. Yep, his yep. uncle father is dead. No, his uncle father is alive. His, his fake father is dead. Mm-hmm. His mom's in prison. His wife's in prison. And he's like 12. <laughs> What's he going to do? Of course he's fucking the, I locking himself I didn't think about room. that. He really, he's got nobody out there. Literally nobody. He's in a rough spot. He's got no experience. He's been king for like three weeks. Everything's shits hit the fan. Man, man. It's a mess for Tommen. It's, it's tough for him. You got to feel for the kid. Kyburn then tells Cersei, there is one way out of this situation. And she knows what he's talking about without him even having to say it. Confess to the High Sparrow. And she is not down with this idea. She says, I won't. I made him. I rose him up from nothing. I will not kneel before some barefooted commoner and beg his forgiveness. Septa Unella then enters and cuts that meeting short. Kyburn says, goodbye, my queen. The work continues. But it's pretty clear what's going to need to happen here. The stage has been set, right? This is her only way out is to confess. Now she's just going to have to get broken enough to actually do it. Mm-hmm. Which is what's, what's great about Septa Unella is she's there to ensure that happens. She's fucking awful. Back in the happy home of Winterfell, Reek visits Sansa's chambers to deliver her a meal. And Sansa has questions for Theon. She wants to know why the fuck he ratted her out to Ramsay. Reek explains that Theon Greyjoy once tried to escape, but the master knew because he knows everything. He tells Sansa what happened to him, how he was tortured, how Theon doesn't exist anymore, there's none left of him. And Sansa's response is good. If it weren't for you, I'd still have a family. If I could do what Ramsay did to you right here and now, I would. And Theon is pretty accepting of the fact that he deserved everything he got. That he he deserves to be Reek. That he did terrible things. He turned on Rob. He captured Winterfell. He burned those boys. And Sansa jumps all over his ass to get him to admit that, like, Bran and Rickon were his brothers that Mm -hmm. he murdered. Which is, despite the fact that Ramsay... The whole thing unfolds with Sansa getting a very important piece of information, which is that her brothers are not dead. Yes. She's going into this scene believing to be alone in the world, 
All the Starks are gone and dead. And she comes out knowing that her two brothers are alive. Very big development. Bran and Rickon are still out there. And Reek tells her point blank that those aren't them. That the, the boys he burnt were not them. Even though Ramsay hasn't given him permission to say any of that. That it was just two farm boys and he burned them so no one would know. And Sansa's shocked. She's obviously very happy, but she's shocked. She wants to know where Bran and Rickon are. But Reek tweaks out, yells out, not Theon, Reek, and just bails. Uh, but point is, just a finally, a little fucking glimmer of hope for Sansa. Over in the Great Hall in Winterfell, Ruse and Ramsay and their top men are meeting to discuss the impending conflict with Stannis. We find out that Stannis has got no more than 6,000 men. More than half of those are mounted, however, which is why we saw so many horses, so many dudes on horseback just rolling through the wildlings. And Bruce is like, look, we've got fully repaired walls. The gates have been reinforced. We've got enough food for six months. All we have to do is wait, and these dudes are going to freeze, starve, and mutiny. But Ramsey sees it as an opportunity to show people what happens when southern invaders venture north. He wants to hit first, hit hard, and leave a feast for the crows, as he puts it. Ruse is like, the snow's too deep. They couldn't even get an, We couldn't get an army to these guys, if, even if we wanted to. And Ramsey says, I don't need an army. I need 20 good men. Oh shit, what does this kooky motherfucker have planned? He's going in Delta Force style. He's going to do it like a SEAL. SEAL Team, yeah, SEAL Team... Ramsey. I, I can't think. If you could think team, of a good one right there. Seal, Seal team, team Fway? I don't know. <laughs> it's not good for Stannis. That is what I do know. Wait, what is? The, what did we end up calling the... There were a few nicknames for in the most recent season. Oh, Suicide shit. Squad. Su- yeah, also, that was the one we hated because the movie sucked. something about a Seal Team, right? Seal Team something what did we call him shit we have bad memories i can't remember somebody yeah. call in and remind us yeah. please yeah. what did we what all the did ni- we... all the nicknames for the crazy eight or however many of them there the were the band of brothers seven yeah was it seal, seal team, team seven, seven then is, is that what we seven? called it yeah i bet so i don't remember somebody tell us but ramsey's got some plan he needs 20 men he wants to do something to stannis we'll see what happens back in marine Tyrion sits and meets with danny who wants to know if he? I mean, he wants to know if she's decided to kill him. This was this scene especially was just. I mean, they were just tennis partners here, volleying, volleying it back and forth. It was nice to watch. What a rally! They what had. a rally! Yeah, yeah, it was a great rally they had. Yes, it's, it's very good. Danny wants to know if he decided to serve her. He, he, Tyrion wants to know if she decided to kill him, and they find common ground in the fact that both of their fathers were savage, terrible, awful assholes. We yeah, and we also learn that kind of an explanation about remember how we were like what the hell is Varys doing he's down there in the dungeons plotting against her with, yes. with Illyrio like what's yeah, what's going what's his on position? I, I, Tyrion kind of gets gives us an explanation here he's basically like he had to do that he had to do that to an extent to keep himself safe to stay alive so that he could help her later yeah for so realsies. he was basically just doing he had to do both he had to protect her but he also had to go after her if you he just at, made yeah. sure that the attempts to go after her were thwarted and or too late and or had a hitch. Yes. You know Essentially, what I mean? it could be argued, and Tyrion says as much, that Varys is the only reason she's alive. Yeah. And uh, yes, he was the one in charge of the campaign to find and kill her, but that campaign didn't work. She's still alive. 
clearly there's a reason for that. And uh, I, Varys has been having to play a very difficult game and doing it very well for a long time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But back to the father thing, to their identifying with each other about their insane fathers or whatever. Danny wants to know why Tyrion killed his father, and Tyrion's like, someday I'll tell you if you decide not to execute me, but on that day, we're going to need a lot more wine than this. Uh, Danny, on the other hand, acknowledges who her father was, what he was, what he did, and that the Mad King earned his name. Tyrion says, so here we sit, two terrible children of two terrible fathers. He also expresses that he sees Danny reopening the fighting pits as wise, as is agreeing to marry someone that she loathes for the greater good. Tyrion tells Danny all about the fact that Varys is the one who framed her up for him, which is obviously upsetting to Danny. She says, for 20 years, the spider oversaw the campaign to find and kill me, which we just discussed. Tyrion says he did what he had to do to survive. Uh, and also, Tyrion declares that Varys may be the only person in the world he trusts aside from his brother. Danny says, the brother who killed my father? <laughs> Tyrion says, that's the one. The relationship between these two is so twisted and absurd that it's like perfect. Like it's so bad that it's good. They have all these connections historically. Their families fucking despise each other and it's just been nonstop conflict. His brother killed her dad. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's crazy how this all worked out. But Danny tells Tyrion she's not going to kill him. She's not going to banish him. She, she wants him to advise her. But she takes away his wine cup and says, while you can still speak in complete sentences. So we're back to the no drinking for Tyrion mm. as of right now. And Tyrion suggests... I mean, not no... He just got to, you know, he just can't get shithoused all day. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> he suggests that Danny should consider a different goal than the Iron Throne at one point, which I thought was interesting. He's like, why not just stay here? You've changed hundreds of thousands of lives for the better. But she has a really good answer. Like, this isn't her home. You know? It's... This isn't it. This isn't the end game for her. That's also, like, one of those test questions, though, as sort well. Sort of. Right? I think so. Like, when somebody really wants something, you gotta... You gotta... Get to the root of yeah, why. you gotta make, make them say that they want it. Sure. So I think he's kind of, like, giving her this easier option. Like, hey, you could just stay here, chill out, live in the Bay, the Bay Area. We don't even have to go. That's what we call it. Yeah. That's what they call Slaver's Bay. That is. The Bay Area. The Bay Area. Yeah. Yeah, she doesn't want that. Um, He also says, House Targaryen is gone. Not a single person who shares your blood is alive to support you. (coughs) Not really. Which I put like 16 exclamation points after. (laughs) Um, He says, the Starks are gone as well. Our two terrible fathers saw to that. Put 16 more exclamation points after that. Also not true. And uh, no Lannister will back her. The Tyrells maybe, but that's just not enough. And that's when we get one of Danny's most famous lines ever. Lannister, Targaryen, Baratheon, Stark, Tyrell. They're all just spokes on a wheel. This one's on top, then that one's on top, and on and on it spins, crushing those on the ground. Tyrion says, it's a beautiful dream stopping the wheel. You're not the first person who's ever dreamt it. And Danny says, I'm not going to stop the wheel. I'm going to break the wheel. dun dun and uh, meanwhile, Jorah, <laughs> poor, sad Jorah, the only choice he has is to wander back to the slaver that bought him and Tyrion. Mm-hmm. And uh, he tells that guy, look, man, you said whoever won that fight could fight in the great pit in front of the queen, and I want to do that. I want that opportunity. Let me fight for her, and I belong to you. Jorah, 
for all his flaws and for how stupid it was to not tell Danny the truth back in the day and avoid all this altogether, refuses to go down. Most people in his given situation would have just said, oh, fuck this, packed it in, gone and got shit-faced until they turn into a stone man uh, <laughs> and just like bang Mid-coitus. out. You just bang out a bunch of fake Danny prostitutes mm, or whatever. Mm. Jorah didn't do that, and he doesn't get enough credit, your man's Jorah, for, for being... Well, I've always said that he didn't. He, do- he doesn't, though, for real. He's very unbelievably loyal and loving toward Danny. He's just a guy that you want on your squad. He puts himself back into slavery for the opportunity, again, for the opportunity to fight for her. Let me fight for her and I belong to you. Very cool to see. Back in King's Landing, Cersei is in her cell again, visited by Septa Unella, who asks if she's thirsty, says confess. We're going to hear her say the word confess roughly 100 times over the next couple weeks. But Cersei hasn't broken yet. She's still talking shit. She, at one point, uh, tries to bribe Septa Unella. She says she can make her a very wealthy woman. Septa Unella don't care. You know, when we when we got to the downfall of Septa Unella, yeah. it, like, it like made sense. But in this rewatch, man, they were really setting it up. Man, oh, they set it up. They made her so hateable. Well, and they just, this is like the fourth time that Cersei's been like, Beaten. The last thing you're gonna see is my face before you die. Yeah. Talking about all the horrible things that she's imagining, the yeah. most the worst ways for her to die, <laughs> yes. just the most terrible things she can do to her. And I mean, it actually plays out for in Cersei's favor here. She's just sitting there imagining the most hideous ways to kill this woman, and as a result, you know, and Kybern just told her that the work continues. The work, my grace. The work does continue. Your grace. Lunella pours Cersei's water out all over the ground and she leaves, locks the door behind her and Cersei drinks the water off the stone floor crying as she slurps. It is very depressing. This is quite literally rock bottom for her. Over at the wall, Gilly tends to Sam's injuries because he took that ass kicking uh, last episode which resulted in him saving Gilly from sexual abuse and also getting laid. Ollie brings Sam some food because he heard about that ass kicking. Then he asks about John who's gone up to hard home to save all those wildlings. He's like, why is he saving them, basically? And Sam has to explain to Ollie. It's like, in case you're a big enough bigot to not get it at this point, <laughs> we get one more explanation here. All That the wildlings are all people. There are good ones and bad ones, just like all people. Uh, Sam has seen the Army of the Dead, though. He's seen the White Walkers. They're going to need every last man they can find. And Ollie's like, but what if they cut our throats in our sleep? And it's like, dude, do you don't get it? It's... We don't stand a chance otherwise. Yes, this is a risk, but we all die if we don't take it. So this is a no-brainer. It's a logical, easy choice. Yes. For the morons who don't get that. Ollie's a fucking idiot. Is my This has been explained over and over again, Ollie. He's still asking about, what about my mom and dad? They got murdered by that. Dude, shut the fuck up. We're all going to die if we don't bring these people over. It's not a choice. It's obvious, obvious solution. Yeah, this, I mean, I get it. Like, that's a tough thing to let go of. Um, yeah, but dude, like, it's been four or five episodes. But you gotta, you gotta check that. <laughs> yeah. Like, get over it, go, it, kid. Get over it. You check fucking... that ego, though, man. Yeah. Like, uh, that's what nobody seems to understand is that you can hold on to your grudge and we can all die. Right. Like, that's or an option. you can set that grudge aside and we can maybe all not die. Have a chance. Yeah. And not dying does seem like the better option there out of the two. To me, personally. Whatever. From there, we get into it. Finally, we go to Hardhome. We see John and Tormund and company approaching by boat. 
And as they as they get ready to approach the wildlings, Tormund asks, "You trust me, Jon Snow?" And Jon's like, "Does that make me a fool?" And Tormund said, "We're fools together now." So these he's all in. Tormund is by making this trip to Hardhome with Jon. This is him putting his neck on the line and risking it all with Jon to potentially save everyone. Sometimes you got to risk it all. Sometimes you got to. So they approach the wildlings, led by the Lord of Bones, and Tormund wants to gather the elders and find somewhere quiet to talk, and the Lord of Bones is like, fuck you, you don't give the orders here. Tormund is, is insistent that that is not an order. And that's when the Lord of Bones starts to put it together. He's like, wait a minute, why aren't you in chains? John explains that Tormund is not a prisoner, he's an ally, and that's when the Lord of Bones snaps off, calls him a fucking traitor, says you fight for the crows now. Tormund is like, I don't fight for the crows. John's like, we're not here to fight, we're here to talk. And that's the Lord of Bones says, is that right? You and the pretty crow do a lot of talking, Tormund, and when you're done talking, do you get on your knees and suck his cock? <laughs> Which is a hilarious line. And a very good put-down by the Lord of Bones. Unfortunately, it is the last thing he will ever say. Tormund just grabs his staff immediately and beats him to fucking death with it in front of everyone. Mm-hmm. Very gnarly scene. Brutal murder. Uh, but kind of surprising that they just let him beat that guy to death. But I don't think anybody wants to fuck with Tormund. Uh, yeah, I think that's the kind of respect that Tormund demands in his community. And also, nobody really, res- nobody ever really liked the Lord of Bones you, all that much. You get that feeling. Like, he was just kind of in the position of power he was in because of yeah. Nance, but really nobody digs this but, guy. Yeah, people behind his back were like, oh, you know, he wears those stupid bones all the time. And why it's like, what does he even that? do? Like, what, did well, he even kill those guys where he got those bones <laughs> or just, like, uh, you know, unearth a grave and, like, take all those bones? <laughs> people don't even buy that he earned yeah, that. Yeah, no, no. Like, why yeah. does he wear that? mask he's probably because he's so ugly yada yada what does he look like under there yeah yeah Yeah. no 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 none of nobody else wears a mask like not even the fans wear a mask you know it's this whole thing yeah so they don't they don't mind much and uh but awesome awesome scene and torment has just had enough i think typically he would have been like look man i'm gonna try to explain this to you but he doesn't have time for that shit so he just has to pound his face in and move on no more lord of bones r.i.p lord of bones bye lord of bones goodbye lord of bones Tormund says, gather the elders and let's talk. And then he just like walks up to that elder hut by himself. Very cool scene. He's like 30, 40 feet ahead of everybody else. And the the sea has just kind of parted to create a path for him. Nobody's fucking with Tormund. So from there, Jon Snow introduces himself to the elders of the wildlings, the ones that are still alive anyway. He's very straight up with these people about their history, the, the history between both the wildlings and the crows. He lays out the situation for them. That the White Walkers, again, don't care if a man is free folk or crow. They're all just meat for their army, as John puts it. But together, maybe they can beat them. One of the elders is like, beat the White Walkers? Good luck. Run from them. Maybe that's a better idea. Then John shows them all the dragon glass that Sam gave him. The female elder, who is one of the principal uh, people involved here says there are old stories about dragon glass and another guy says there are old stories about ice spiders as big as hounds shout out to old nan r.i.p <laughs> very uh-huh. cool callback to her like if you can't hear in your head her saying an ice spider's big as hounds in your head then you haven't watched this show <laughs> enough because it's very clear in my head so john is like look here's what we'll do We take you down to the wall. We let you through the tunnel. There's farmland on the other side of the wall. You can farm, have a new life. All you have to do in return is swear to join us and fight on our side when the real war begins. And then things take a turn. 
one of the elders, I believe it's the Finn gentleman, is like, hey, where's Mance Raider? And John's like, <coughs> oh, he's he's uh, he's dead. You talking about the elder that looks just like that looks like a skinny old Tormund? It's got to be his dad, right? Maybe an uncle. Oh, I have no idea. No. I'm talking about the Finn, the one oh, who's the bald thin, and the he's thin. got like bones oh, in, yeah, his, yeah, in yeah, his face yeah, or something. Yeah. Whatever those people do. You just described all the Thins, but yeah, yeah. Well, sure. Anyway, so rather than explaining it the smart way, when one of the other wildlings asks how Mance died, John just says, frankly, I put an arrow through his heart. <laughs> Which we've made fun of John for stuff like this before. He's not very strategic. Um, he doesn't see situations like this for the potential disaster that they could be. He just says things the way they are. I put an arrow through his heart. And so Tormund does to step in and save John's ass here and explain that the arrow was mercy which might have been John's plan all along for mm -hmm. Tormund to explain himself for him. John reiterates again that only together can they attempt to survive the long night, and even then it might not be enough, but at least they'll give the fuckers a fight. And then that's when the Thin says, uh, my ancestors would spit on me if I broke bread with a crow, and the female elder says, so would mine, but fuck them, they're dead, which is a great point. You have to agree with her. So a lot of the wildlings are down. They say they trust Tormund, and if they trust Tormund and Tormund trusts John, they're in. The Thins, however, are not down. So they walk out. And the female says, I fucking hate Thins, which is the same thing that Tormund said several episodes back. He agrees, shakes his head in approval of that hate. And one one just says, Tormund. And I don't know what that means. Tormund. Means he sides with Tormund. Oh, yeah, okay. It's very simple. Yeah. So. They Good. only use one word. Good to know. Yeah. So, John and Tormund start- Anyang. Tormund. Yeah, he's very much the Anyang of Game of Thrones, 1-1. <laughs> one, one. He is. Their names sound similar. They communicate in similar ways. They start loading up the wildlings that have agreed to leave with them onto these ships. John guesses there are 5,000 coming with them, says they need more. They're leaving too many behind. And Tormund is like, look, these people are stubborn as fuck. It took Mance 20 years to get them together, give them time. Uh, he says they're running out of food. There's nothing to hunt. They will come around. Tormund is confident in that. Which sounds very promising. You're like, things are really looking up here. The female elder who was in the meeting and sided with Tormund and Jon Snow, she loads her kitties up onto a boat and ships them off with the, to, to get onto the ship, actually. And that's when suddenly we hear thunder. Dogs are barking and howling. And a storm of ice and snow is approaching very quickly from the other side of this gate. Wildlings are yelling out. One of the Thins realizes what's happening and yells, Shut the gates! So the gates get shut with a fuck ton of wildlings on the other side. We can hear them struggling, hitting the gate, trying to get through, screaming as the storm of ice and snow envelops them. Open the gate, they scream. Then suddenly the shouting stops. The screams all die out. It's just eerie, creepy silence. Mm -hmm. The thin looks through a hole in the gate and he sees the army of the dead sprinting forward and attacking. And this whole battle, one of the most famous battles in, the, in this show... Uh, is on. So this causes chaos, right? Everybody's just scrambling to get onto rowboats and make their way to the ships. Whites are climbing the gates and jumping over. And I have to say, I've, I've thought this many times watching Game of Thrones, but this particular scene, I need to know if whoever did Pirates of the Caribbean zombies did these whites because they look so similar. Do they not structurally? Yeah, no, they do. It would be surprising to me if they weren't... I bet there was at least some crossover in like the graphics department. Or, or the, the, the inspiration for yeah, them. Or maybe something. it's the same type of people involved who were making them. Whatever it was, they're very 
similar. It mm-hmm. might have just been that they liked the way the Pirates of the Caribbean guys Maybe did so. it, and they were like, let's do it similar to that. So John's getting people onto boats. Inner fighting is running rampant. The female elder tells John that it doesn't look like he's going to get back to Castle Black to enforce his own orders. Tormund says if they get through, everyone dies, pointing to the gate, saying that if the whites get through, they're all fucked. Everybody's going to die. So John draws Longclaw and calls the Night's Watch to join him. They make their way to the gate, and they start fighting. The thing is breaking pretty quickly. Like, there are holes in the gate. Whites are running through. Dozens have made it through. There's fighting all over the place. John plugs one of those major holes, and the fighting continues, and you're like, okay, maybe they got a chance here. But that's when John looks up and sees four horsemen. And these are the White Walker generals standing up on this cliffside, looking down at them. And John quickly realizes, oh shit, they're focused on that hut where we had the meeting with the elders where all the dragon glasses yells out the dragon glass. And the Thin, who previously has been uncooperative, is like, you and me then. This apparently was all he needed mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to uh, get his head on right. So they go for that hut while Tormund hold down, holds down the gate. John runs into the hut. He's killing people left and right on the way. Uh, 1-1 busts out of the hut and is kicking serious ass, like tearing these whites apart, stomping on other ones, crushing people beneath his feet and shit. And when John is in there with the Thin in the hut, in walks one of these White Walker generals. It's the, it's a, the bearded, balding one who we've seen before. I think we have seen this guy. Yeah. We have yeah. on horseback. Yeah. And the Thin is like, get the glass, and goes to fight this dude and just gets thoroughly owned. Just absolutely gets the shit kicked out of him. He gets dispatched almost immediately. Uh, John doesn't get to the dragon glass. The White Walker throws him away. And then the fight that, that, you know, this is one of the best fights we ever see on this show breaks out. John tries to use a normal sword to fight the guy, and the White Walker's weaponry shatters it before he kicks John to the ground and knocks the air out of him. So John runs and picks up Longclaw. He's like really struggling to catch his breath. The White Walker pursues him. He's super confident and cocky about it. He's like walking slowly at him, basically like this guy's fucked. And he pulls back his sword spear thing, and he's ready to kill John. And then that's when John raises up Longclaw, and the White Walker swings, and steel meets steel. And it turns out Valerian steel holds up against these White Walker weapons, which is huge news for all of us who are looking to survive the long night. Very big problem, however, for the White Walker that is standing there shocked. By the way, you can pause it and the look on his face when he's like holding sword against sword. He looks so fucking shocked and surprised. He's like, oh my God. It's like, it's the look of a man who hasn't practiced fighting in like 20 years because his weapon breaks all of the other weapons in the right. world. Yeah. And then suddenly you realize, oh shit, I'm going to have to do an actual sword fight. And that's why it only lasts about five more seconds. This guy can't fight for shit if your weapon is worthy of uh, holding up against his. John just offs this dude hard, shatters him into a thousand pieces. It's one of the coolest scenes, little fight scenes we ever see, one of the coolest deaths we see on the show. Yeah, definitely. And uh, we obviously are going to need a lot more Valyrian steel is, is the takeaway from this scene here. That White Walker is gone. And we get this look up at the the other generals who are still alive, and the Night King in particular, who looks like, oh, okay, well, that's mildly annoying, basically. He's, yeah, I mean, that's the only interesting thing he sees this whole time. It's so hard to get that dude's dick hard at this uh, point. Yeah, other like, than that, it's just a slaughter. The, the Night Cornel King... Cornel Hofstra, slaughter. 
Yeah, thank you, The Office. Uh, thank you, Andy. He's so bored, though, The Night King. You're exactly right. It's like there's nothing going on over there for this guy. He so badly just wants to be on the other side of the damn wall, getting the real war on. Right. This is all just bullshit to him. Like, at this point, watching the show, you think the White Walkers are just calm, cool, and collected because that's how they are. Mm. But no, they literally are just bored out of their fucking minds. <laughs> and they all know they can't go to the other side of the wall yet. They need... A dragon, which they do. they do get later on. But it's just, it's interesting to watch them operate knowing that they know they can't go to the other side yet. Oh, this is all very intentional on their parts. They're just collecting more men. That's all this is for them. That's an operation in growing their force. And uh, John recovers from his fight with that White Walker. He's, again, got the breath knocked out of him pretty hard as we see the fighting continue. That elder wildling babe we keep talking about she's kicking ass but then she suddenly looks up and she's surrounded by white walker or i'm sorry white child soldiers white children yeah not caucasian children (laughs) although that can be scary too just a bunch of caucasian kids sometimes looking you dead in the eye sometimes more scary than zombies yeah at a costco (laughs) (laughs) yes that's that's horrifying (laughs) but she can't do it she can't bring herself to fight these children so she just crosses her arms and lets them take her in one of the most disappointing scenes ever on this show for me. Why, lady? She was so awesome. Maybe- I mean, she kind of gets spider monkey though, a little bit. Okay, I think yes. she's like, I'm, I can't take all these, these, I can't take 10 kids at one time. Fuck that. She could have done it. It's the classic age-old question. Like, how many five-year-olds do you think you could fend off at one time? Yeah. How many? Yeah. She, like, starts acting like Luke- she's dying. Okay, maybe Luke's, so. Luke's acknowledging that she does cross her arms and just take it, and I'm with you. It's it's frustrating. I get it. I get it. The idea is that she's a mother, and she can't bring herself to kill these children, even if they are evil or whatever. So she just gives herself up. Uh, John is still spitting up blood when his buddy Ed finds him, and John's like, we need to go get that dragon glass. And Ed's like, fuck the glass. We're going to die here. We are out. Then we see hundreds and hundreds of White Walkers just fucking running face first off this cliff. The cliff where we've seen the White Walker generals falling down to the ground, landing on their faces, and then immediately getting up and continuing to fight. And it is a totally horrifying scene. Um, That's when everybody's like, all right, we got to get the hell out of here. Tormund sees the gate breaking, and he bails, tells 1-1 to bail too. He says, to the sea! So one one picks up a fucking telephone pole, which I don't know where he got that, but somebody's not getting service today, and he just starts whacking dudes with it. Here's a question: Why is it that we can't arm one one with a telephone pole all of the time? Maybe even two telephone poles. Maybe yeah. He was a fucking monster out there <laughs> with that telephone. It's like Barry Bonds in his prime on steroids, just swatting dudes left and right unbelievable performance in this episode from 1-1. Maybe the only reason anybody survived this situation. Serious work that he put in. John and Tormund and Ed and company make it to the dock just in time. Guess what? There's one boat remaining. Very fortunate. One boat with one hooded dude in it. That that John gets on. Yeah. Yeah. And what does 1-1 just walk the whole way? Yeah, he's just gonna swim out there, man. He's big enough. He doesn't need to fucking... He doesn't need... What, he also doesn't fit in a No, he sure does not does not fit on a normal boat even. What does he do? I imagine they tie one one to the back of one of the biggest <laughs> ships like a like a like a uh tube. Uh-huh. And they just pull, pull him. him. Yeah. And he just goes on his back and floats. Yes. Yeah. 
In fact, that is what happens. <laughs> no one can prove otherwise. And that's a hysterical image in my head now. Oh my God, I hope to God there's a deleted scene of the ship just making its way back to the wall and one one is behind it being towed 30 yards back, floating on his back, you know, spitting water up, making a fountain with his mouth or whatever. So one one runs into the sea. He's tall enough, as we mentioned. He can make it to the boats without being in a boat. The whites overrun the entire shore. John looks back in a historic scene as the remaining wildlings and, and members of the Night's Watch that are still on the shore are slaughtered. Tormund tears up as he looks back as well. And then the slaughter stops because there's no one left to kill. And the Night King walks out onto the dock from which the good guys just sailed away. He stares out at John's boat and then raises his hands slowly. And with them, he raises every single person who was just killed. Fresh meat, new soldiers for his army of the dead. Their eyes open again, shimmering icy blue, including that female elder we saw die at the hands of the white children, which, by the way, gives real meaning to her. They, we spent 10 minutes on her in this episode because, and I mean in the television episode, to build her up as a real person that we see converted to the army of the dead. We haven't seen that yet with any human that, right. we've, that we're close to. So she was the first reason, the first one that did that. The whole reason for her storyline is to show a mother who's on the wilding side, who's trying to save her kids and her family and her people, fall and become a part of the Army of the Dead. It's eerie, one of the eeriest and most powerful scenes in Game of Thrones or in television history, period, where we see John and company rowing away in silence, just looking back at the shoreline, which has yep. been consumed by this Army of the Dead, it is like also kind of unexpected when when you watch this episode for the first time if you look back at how season five was unfolding you might have started to get to the point where you're like okay what's gonna happen here and then this episode happens and you're like oh fuck okay i see what's happening here it kind of like just kicks the whole thing up into high gear like we're finally seeing how this is gonna work how these white walkers plan on you know invading and, and taking over everything right and just how powerful that could be. One question I have, Barrett, is when we see the Night King raise up all the dead, obviously he is able to raise up all of the wildlings who have just been murdered. Can he raise up, re-raise up, I guess, his people who have already been killed? Yes, I think he can. So, uh, okay, if so they haven't, I believe you too. I think you're right. That if they haven't been burnt... If they haven't been burnt, he that's can bring what, them back the, up. One of the... One, D or D in the... After the episode, mm -hmm. kind of like casually mentions that the only way to kill those things is to burn them right now i think if you stomp on their skull maybe or like i feel like there are other ways to shatter their ability to continue to moving, reanimate to reanimate uh -huh. but yeah if you just like if all you did was shove a sword through their rib cage i think they get reanimated yes you i believe you are 100 percent correct unless that sword is made of valyrian steel right or Dragonglass, yes. uh, then they can be reanimated. So there is no winning a battle against the Army of the Dead if you are not armed with Valyrian Steel or Dragonglass. They can just be brought back up again and they'll just get sent right back at you and you're not going to accomplish a damn thing. So there's a lot of clarity around that established here. It just all, it made it all feel so real. Like there was so much gravity to the, the real war to come mm -hmm. situation. Like you can finally really put your finger on what this all looks like. And 
I, I easily one of my favorite episodes of the show ever, Hard Home. It's easily one of the most famous and memorable. Barrett, you mentioned it's always put in the top five, top three when yep. people talk about the best episodes of Game of Thrones, which is by and large considered to be one of the best episode or uh, best television series of all time. Just a flawlessly executed episode here. It, j- it was so fucking good, and uh, it's one of the reasons Miguel Shapochnik is so revered yes. as a director. Yes, it is. And uh, that we look forward to seeing more from him. But man, I'm like, dude, the, the beauty of these episodes where they just, where everything is just put together so beautifully is that when it ends and the first time you're watching it, it's Sunday night and you're sitting there on your couch and the credits start to roll and all you can hear is like the waves hitting the mm-hmm. shore of Hard Home. And everybody in the whole fucking world that's watching is all just sitting there in dead silence thinking about the <laughs> yeah. same shit you are. Like, right. oh my God, that really just happened. And that's an incredible feeling. That's an incredible thing that they've been able to accomplish with this show. Is like, it's hard for, for something to feel as brutal as this was. It was it was very well done. Um, I mean, that's all I have to say about Hard Home. Any, any, anything you two want to share? No, man, we covered we covered it. We sure did. Man, heavy shit though. Very heavy shit. It, I will say five thousand doesn't seem like enough. They, it's good. It's better than nothing. At least they're bringing some people back. But they're gonna need more than that. We will uh, see how things go from here next Monday by talking about the ninth episode of season five, "The Dance of Dragons," written by Benioff and Weiss and directed by David Nutter, the Nut Man. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, the penultimate episode. Penultimate, yep. Of season five. We are we are approaching it. I don't have I I can't recall what happens in the Dance of Dragons and I can't believe that Hard Home wasn't penultimate. Oh I Ramsey says in this episode also a feast we leave let's leave a feast, a for, feast crows. For, for crows. For crows, yeah. Which is one of the book, book titles. Book titles, right? yeah. Is the Dance of Dragons another book title? Yeesh. It's a Dance of Dragons, isn't it? No? Oh. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. A Dance with Dragons. A Dance with Dragons. Is one of the book titles. It is the fifth of seven planned novels. A Song of Ice and Fire, Clash of Kings, Storm of Swords. A Game of Thrones. Yeah, A Game of Thrones, Clash of Kings, Storm of Swords. A Feast for Crows, A Dance with Dragons, and Winter something? Winds of Winter, yeah. Ah, gotcha. Mm. Luke said, and then A Dream of Spring. Dra- Turn yeah. on your microphone, Goon. <laughs> Winds of Winter and then A Dream of Spring. There we go. Intern Luke clarified that for us off mic. But yes, A Game of Thrones, of A Clash spring. of Kings, A Storm of Swords, A Feast for Crows, A Dance with Dragons. So we have both A Feast for Crows and the following book, A Dance with Dragons, referenced in one episode, which is kind of cool that they mm-hmm. worked those in. Um, you can follow our podcast on Instagram at Oysters, Clams, Cockles. Also on Twitter at Clams and Cockles. You can like us on Facebook.com slash Oysters, Clams, Cockles. Through all these outlets every week, we put out content related to Game of Thrones, the podcast. Uh, we also make announcements through there about you know episode viewings or whatever. Very important that you follow us on social media. We put up some of the best Game of Thrones content in the game. You can also follow me, Ross Bolin, on my personal social media accounts at WRBolin is where you'll find B-O-L-E-N, W-R-B-O-L-E-N 
on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. Also, subscribe to the Ross Bolin Podcast, which is my personal show, which is mainly humor-based. Uh, we talk about lots of cool, fun things or things that I think are cool and fun. Maybe you do, too. Give the Ross Bolin Podcast a shot if you feel. Barrett, where can the Clam Fam follow you, and what else should they listen to? Your, where oh, can they hear your voice? You can follow me on my personal accounts, at Barrett Dudley, Instagram and Twitter. And make sure you uh, you give Grandex Labs a look. That's where my new podcast, Club Cool, has been coming out. It'll be moving to its own feed very soon. But in the meantime, check out the Grandex Labs feed. How do I, I find Grandex Labs? You search for Grandex Labs on, uh, that's easy. on iTunes. So simple that even I could do it. Yes. Yep, that's how you do it. Last episode, talked with producer Micah, the co-host of the Ross Bolin podcast. Did you so, know? Yep, yeah, yeah, sure did. Interesting fellow, that guy. Anyways, uh, yeah. If you want more information, I, I I put out stuff about it on my on my personal accounts as well. So, mm, lovely. Peep that shiz. Peep it. Hotline numbers eight six six four three clams. Again, we would love it so much. If while you you know what here's what you do right now you get on a little iTunes thing or Apple Podcasts app on your phone whichever, and you type in Grand X Labs and you subscribe to that shit real quick so that you can listen to Club Cool when it drops. And while you're on that freaking app or whatever, you also just real quickly search Oysters, Clams, and Cockles, pull up our podcast, give us a rating and a review right quick. You should already be subscribed. If you're not, hit the subscribe button. But just taking a few minutes to rate and review for us does wonders. It means a lot to us. If you've enjoyed the night's rewatch, if you love Oysters, Clams, and Cockles in general, if you're looking forward to season eight, this is one way that you can grow the Clam Fam, get us more soldiers in the night's rewatch, by rating and reviewing. Also, just tell friends, family members, coworkers, neighbors, anybody that you know loves Game of Thrones about the existence of our podcast. Word of mouth goes a long way to helping us continue to grow the show. And uh, look, the bigger this podcast is, and I can, it's going to be ridiculous. It's already ridiculous, but it's going to be very ridiculously large when season eight is upon us. The more fun we'll all have together experiencing the last few episodes of this show that we love so much. So... Please continue to spread the word and do rate and review. If you want to cop some Oysters, Clams, and Cockles-themed T-shirts or just Game of Thrones-themed T-shirts, we've got a pretty good selection on grandexshop.com slash OCC. The Night's Rewatch official T-shirt is on there. It's the uh, the shirt that was promised, as we have referred to it in the past. If you haven't grabbed yourself one of those, you absolutely should. We've got Party Like Tyrion, Slay Like Daenerys tees, a Dracarys tee, Chaos is a Ladder, maybe still my personal favorite. Just a general selection of oysters, clams, and cockles gear as well. There's an R.I.P. Dickon. <laughs> an R.I.P. Dickon shirt, which I think three human beings own. Which, it, think about it. If you're one of those three people and you see another R.I.P. Dickon fan out in the wild, your brain has to explode. <laughs> there's mouse pads. There's hoodies. Sweaters. There's a girl boss shirt with Liana Mormont on it, which is quite cool if you're a lady or you're just a dude who wants to support ladies. All that available on grandexshop.com slash OCC. Thank you all for listening and supporting. Um, love you guys and the Clam Fam, and we will be back next Monday. Later. Adios. Adios.